Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of Tudo Português. My name is Angela Samoz and man, am I excited about today's episode because we are talking to honestly one of my favorite people on the planet, Jeremiah Duarte-Bills. Jeremiah, how are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm well. <laughs> You're so sweet. I feel the same way. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. It's been like, if we actually, I don't even know if I could do the math because COVID, you know, puts yeah. your sense of time just totally out of whack. But I mean, we've known each other for quite a while now. Yeah. Um, and I remember I discovered you on the Great American Baking Show, right? And That's then right. found out that you lived in my hometown of Sacramento. And then we met up and I will never forget that you were like spotted as a celebrity like somebody came up to our table and was like are you jeremiah from the baking show and it was like oh my god that was so cool right and then we've just done lots of collaborations and done stuff together since then and it's been so wonderful so you started i mean there's so many things you you're involved in right so i think the the biggest thing you're doing right now is the online portuguese baking school so we'll talk about that and how that evolved. But then you are a musician. And so we can touch about that a little bit. But so talk about your journey a little bit, because I mean, I think most people know who you are, but there could be <laughs> the rare person out there that hasn't heard of Jeremiah. So talk about your journey. Like, how did you start baking? How did you get on that show? And then what led you to the online Portuguese baking school? Thank you. And first of all, I just want to really acknowledge you. And like you said, we've known each other for since that show. So that's 2016. So we're, it's been quite a oh, while. Yeah. And just your devotion to the porches community is such a gift. And it's so, I mean, it's so authentic. It's so authentic and felt with Thank so you. much love. And what you do for our community is just something that we all should be extremely extremely grateful for because what you and Palkus offer, I mean, what I love about Palkus is, and all the listeners in the community that you're, you've created is that it doesn't matter how Portuguese you think you are or how mm -hmm. you think you feel like you belong. Yes, you belong. absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying all that. It's very, very kind. Thank yeah. you. Well, and it means a lot and it's, you know, coming from the older school days, like when you show up to a hall, sometimes you don't feel like you fit in. So thank you, yeah. to you Marcus, for like creating a place where like we're all together at this big Portuguese feast. All our families are watching and we're having a good time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then also like if you're not like if you're second or third generation or even fourth, right? Like, am I Portuguese enough kind of thing? Exactly. Right? But that, that's, a, that's a whole other Public podcast story. conversation. Yeah. And I have to say that's all changing. Like that, my, that experience is. I feel like is it is really not is anymore. So, which is so nice to see. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> that's actually a very that's a good transition point because yes. as a third generation Portuguese kid, I grew up with a, a lot of the culture, but then also not a lot. And so mm -hmm. my my I mean many of us you know depending on how much you are exposed to it doesn't matter because you feel the saudade in your bone you you know, yeah. your bones if you you feel the call of the sea in your blood and there's nothing that's going to stop that longing until you are immersed either in the actual country or with the in the embrace of the people eating the food with the language and that's how I was as a kid so to kind of start at the the beginning of it all all of my maternal great grandparents immigrated 
from mostly from Fayal, but also from São Miguel and the Azores. And one of the fun stories or the family legends is that <laughs> two of my great grandfathers left from the same village of Pedro Miguel and Fayal on the same boat and somehow ended up, well, of course they ended up in uh, the US together, I think in Rhode Island. And then they separated, but somehow ended up in the same part of California. And then years later, they had children, and which were my grandparents, and they ended up marrying. So what are the odds? You know, you leave this tiny, tiny island, a tiny, tiny village, you know, and you separate these two friends. Yeah. And then their kids ended up marrying in America on the other side of the world. And my grandmother was convinced she was not going to marry a Portuguese man. She-, <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I have had with them. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of how serendipitous my sort of family history is yeah. from, from the Azores. And I mean, there's just great stories all around it, including like, <laughs> we have this story my grandfather got a, my great grandfather got an ice cream for the first time and didn't know what to do with it and like put it in his pocket. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, <laughs> but those oh, are the, so <laughs> oh my gosh. Those are the stories you grew up with. So anyway, at that time, you know, it's pre-internet days, you know, mm-hmm. as far as food and culture, you had what your family gave you. Right. So I grew up with a lot of things, maybe more than most. And in terms of food, you know, and baked goods, it was, you know, we had sweet bread every year, we had and we had filoge. And I thought that was all that Portugal had to offer. I just didn't know. I thought that's too bad. We're not like, you know, France and Italy. Jeremiah, I'm with you because I'm third generation also like you, right? And so like, if you asked me at that time, what's Portuguese cuisine? I'd have said linguiça, sopas, yeah, yeah. which I actually don't like, um, <laughs> which is kind of funny, sweet bread, and ervas, which is a dish that my family makes for Thanksgiving, which again, I don't like. I, I like mustard greens, but I don't like that particular dish. And it would, so that was kind of it, yeah. right? Yeah. And fioge, fioj, things like that. Yeah. But it was very kind of, just uh, not specific, but selective, I guess. So I'm, I totally understand your perspective there. Yeah. Yeah. So again, that calling of the Azores was calling me so strong. And I was in college at this point. And, and I, I mean, we did go to festas and things, but my grandma, not wanting to have married a Portuguese man, she kind of liked to keep her distance a bit from the community. She was funny that way. And anyway, I, I adore her. I miss her. So the, the Azores were calling and I went, I went to a study abroad pro- program in 2004, the University of the Azores in São Miguel to learn Portuguese. I mean, I, you know, my, my, again, my grandparents didn't teach us to speak fluently. There was the, you know, they call mm-hmm. them maybe the frases de criança, like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you yeah. Know. Or, or yeah. yeah, like, uh, yeah, I, I get it. Same thing. I like, I feel like oh. you're talking about my experience. Yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we count and, you know, they would talk when they didn't want us to understand. But I loved, my, if my grandpa was on the phone with someone Portuguese, I would get on the other line, you know, because there weren't cell phones then. And okay. I would just turn and listen. I was like, oh, I'm a part of that. That's, 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 that's oh, in that's my blood. And I would just yeah. sit there and listen. And like someday maybe I'll know what that means and I'll be able to talk to my grandfather and we could have this, you know, relationship on this level. Yeah. So went to the Azores and of course- I'm gonna- Sorry, I just want to interrupt you for one second, because that what you were just talking about, like being on the phone, hearing the language and like feeling like you were part of something. We're going to put a pin in that and like whether that's part of this conversation or a whole other podcast. But the sense of 
I belong to something, especially like in, if you're in school and you don't really belong or like you feel like you don't belong, but then you have this other part of your life that you're like, I feel at home there. Right. And then, then that's kind of where you gravitate and grow. And it sounds like that was, I don't know what your school experience was like, but for me, like I would, that's a whole other conversation I would love to explore with you, whether it's today or, or another time. But I, I love that you said that because you felt that so innately, like in, in your, in your chest, right? Like you felt that, right. And uh, I love that. I love that you said that. No. And you bring up something I hadn't thought about in a long time is that when I ask myself, well, why, why Mm -hmm. again, like my grandmother was sort of, you know, she had, it's, you know, she had her own stories and her own things, like why she wanted to keep the community and the culture, like kind of at a distance. Yeah. And unfortunately there was some of that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She, you know, she grew up in a different time and her parents had her experiences, you know, which she was living based on all of those things as we do. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was interesting because her and I are like best buds. And yet like I had this longing to be closer to the culture and I would ask her to tell the stories of, you know, her parents. And I remember mm-hmm. her dad a bit, but you know, I was very young when he, he, he passed away. So, but you're right. In school, I, I'm a very artistic kid. I'm not your normal, not your normal guy. So <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, school was hard and belonging was definitely, I'm an only child as well. So, you know, a bit always okay with living in my own world, but there was something about, yeah, this culture that I got to, it became a fantasy that I got to yeah. live in, and then the fantasy got to become more and more real. And it's so funny how then we'll talk, you know, I fell in love with the food and then mm-hmm. the, the creating the food became, you know, an obsession, if you will, or a passion, especially the baked goods. And, and it's what has connected me so much more deeply now full circle these years later to that, you know, we can, you know, bounce from that time when I was teenager or in childhood to now, like, this is what's enabled me. It was my, it's my invitation or my way to be part of the community in a way that I, you know, it's very me because I'm a, I'm, I'm a musician. So mm-hmm. I'm a performer. So I felt, you know, it's one of my ways of uh, relating to people. It's like, I'll perform for you and then you'll love me. Yeah. Like, you know, I'll <laughs> right. thank you and then you'll say, yes, you can be Portuguese with us, which is, yes. you know, we're old enough now. We don't need to do that. But that's kind of <laughs> a way to explore. Yeah. So you went on this study abroad and was it like purely academic or did you get to do some fun stuff? And maybe was that like the first time that you baked or made something or so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those things where, yeah, I remember being dropped off. (laughs) It was like 20, you know, early twenties and San Miguel didn't know anyone, you know, and I'm there for the study abroad and like in a dorm and, it was great. It was academic, but they had cultural days planned. They did it. The University of the Azores in Ponta Delgada did a fantastic job. I'm sure it's still, if it's still the program for uh, mm-hmm. summer time is still available, it's probably even better. But we had the best time and they, they took us around the island. My, my teacher was, my teacher was from Fayal, which my grandmother was so happy about because she's like, you, I don't want you sounding like someone from San Miguel. Sorry, all my, my San Miguel friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, the food. Yes. I fell, yeah, I, well, again, all again, all of a sudden I was like, I didn't know there were all of these dishes and all of these uh, desserts. And like my you walked friends, into a bakery and you saw the case and you were like, yes. what? 
is all and, this. And the, I'm glad you said that because it was literally like a past life memory. It happened. I, I saw those baked goods and I was like, I know this flavor. I know these flavors. I know this smells. I know like this whole egg yolk situation. I'm like, I know. This. I don't know why, but I know it and I love it. I don't know. Not everyone loves it, but I love it. Mm -hmm. all, all the convent sweets. I was like, what? This is, mm -hmm. this is so special. And then all the cakes, I think the Azorians have a whole cake culture that I haven't seen as prevalent in the, the continent in my mm -hmm. studies. Mm -hmm. So just getting to know all those different cakes. Right, right. Caramel cakes, coconut cakes, orange cakes, passion fruit cakes, cream cakes, you know, lemon cakes. It goes on and on. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and all the Kejavish. I'm like, what? This is, this is a whole treasure. There's a whole treasure. Yeah not only just on these islands, but in the whole country that no one knows about. So when the opportunity to be on the Great American Baking Show arose, I knew that if I got on, I had to showcase Portuguese recipes. And, mm -hmm. you know, and it was, again, my way to be connected with all of you. <laughs> well, so I remember two things that you made on that show that I was just blown away with the creativity, right? So it, it's one thing to showcase the flavors and the the traditional foods. But you know, oftentimes sometimes our dishes aren't super pretty, right? And yeah. you know, uh, an American or the mainstream culture likes things presented well, right? But you made a Christmas tree where you used uh, ishbes. Mm -hmm. Told I pronounced that wrong. As little wreaths on the tree, right? For Christmas, and I was like, that's brilliant. That was just <laughs> brilliant. Like that's so cute. Right, you could use it as a centerpiece, and and there they are—the traditional Azorian sweets, right on the tree. Then you made the sleigh, the sweet bread <laughs> sleigh, and I got to tell you, my husband and I were just watching this, going, "How did he do that?" Like, and it, again, using the traditional food, and and it's still, according to the judges, tasted great. But you made this beautiful sleigh. I mean, so just your creativity, I think really bumped it up a notch because I don't think people even thought that you could do that stuff with Portuguese food or Portuguese <laughs> sweets. Right. It's like, uh, I mean, like it's what my law makes and it's what we, you know, it's all the traditional stuff and the traditional presentation and the traditional, which certainly has a place and that's how you get exposed to it and learn to love it. Yeah. But you just knocked it out to another level. So there was one other question I did want to ask you about your, your study abroad yeah. And then we'll, we'll, we'll jump forward again to, you know, the baking show and then how you started your business. But do you, was there a, like one dessert or food in, in particular when you got there and you had it and you were just like, like, it's, it's memorable. Like I remember the first time I had mm. that and, and maybe it's not, but I was just wondering if like, you know, if it was your first, it's your first time to Azores, you didn't know anybody. So it's like, all of this is new. And then I remember the first time I had this, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, there's a couple. One is um, peach. Peach. Have you ever what had peach? No. So, and there's a, it's, it's fun. And there's a place in Ponce Delgada that there's a bakery that you can go. We would go like, it felt like the middle of the night. I don't know. Maybe it was like, <laughs> a they were, they were baking it through the night and you, and it was like kind of a warehouse bakery and you had to know. You had to know it wasn't mm -hmm. you go and you get hot peach. So peach are, it's a, like a brioche kind of dough. 
that is stuffed with either, I remember there being chocolate ones, there were coconut ones, and then there were the dos dos, you know, like the thank mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. And we would go and we'd get them fresh out of the oven. And it was just amazing. And it was one of those oh things when I got home, I would look for online and I didn't really ever figure out how to spell it. So I was, I was spelling it wrong and I could never mm-hmm. find the recipe. And then was it 2019? I was there with, with cousins that I still have in Fayal. And I was like, what about these peaks? I haven't seen them. Where, where are these? And she knew exactly and got me some okay. ones. And, and since then I have found recipes and I have a working recipe. So that's one of them because they're like, you know, it's like sweet bread, but it like then stuffed with like, you know, sweet, yummy things like chocolate, okay. coconut. And do you have that recipe? I'm looking on your site now. Do you have no, those? Not no. yet? Not yet. Not yet, right? It's, yeah, sorry, working recipe means it's almost done, not published. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the other one, I think the one that really did it to me first was um, pudding, pudding flan. Mm. Uh, because I'd had versions of that in the US, you know, Mexican, Filipino versions. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, and I'm sure our listeners, your listeners will agree, like the Portuguese version. Well, there are many versions, but what I had there was so rich, so dense. It almost felt like cake. And I just, I loved that version of Puvin. Mm-hmm. Just, it was like, not this light, wimpy stuff that's, you know, kind of floppy and jello-ish. It was like, yeah. oh, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, oh. flan, flan is one of my favorites. Okay, awesome. So, so jump we now we jump forward i mean i'm sure there's a whole lot in between there right but you started baking and how did you get on the show and then that led to i know you did classes for a while and now you have this business yeah i i got on the show you know it was that kind of thing where i i was a fan of the british show and i loved how nerdy it was and like if i'm (laughs) on tv for baking it's got to be that because it's so nerdy and not you know that's not a weird competition where you have to like you know elbow people and <laughs> you know, you're not racing right. to the racing to the finish line you know with right. your friend falling off you know you're <laughs> or whatever it is whatever mm-hmm. drama so yeah it all worked out to get on it was quite a lengthy process of auditions and applications and phone calls and flying to LA to bake on camera um, and then the show was shot wow. in in the UK and we had the, we were the last season ever that Mary Berry, you know, was part of the franchise mm-hmm. and it was an incredible experience. It was so fun. It was so bonding. And it was, it was literally going to pastry school. I was, we were learning so quickly. The The other judge was an American pastry judge, pastry chef who really took time after each episode or each filming to mentor us. And. Oh, that's nice. I really, yeah, I just, cause he wanted the show to be good. And also the, the constraints of the show is we were staying in a hotel and we couldn't practice. They have, they have changed that because we, we, we gave them a lot of feedback. Like if you want a really good show and you want people to do well, they need to be able to practice. So we were mm-hmm. adjusting on the fly, but then you would just be kind of practicing in your head and rewriting recipes and hoping they would work on, mm-hmm. you know, in the tent. And um, if they did, they did. And if they didn't, they didn't. But that was, you know, first, in terms of how this relates to what I'm up to now is the baking show and the experience of preparing for that and what happened, I didn't win. I made it to the final four, but it was like kind of like this total high, but also kind of one of my biggest lows, you know, when you like work so hard for something and then it doesn't yeah. work. 
Yeah. And, and also what didn't work out is that like simple things like my meringues were overbaked or my custard mm. was slightly overdone. And I'm like, and like, I remember our dear friend Maria Lawton being like, those are very Portuguese things. How come you did not get those right? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like that hit me. It was very wise. It was very wise. Yeah. I was like, okay. What's going on? And I mean, I just had to have one of these these, you know, sometimes you hit rock bottom in mm -hmm. area of life and you have to, if you're willing to, you have to be like, what, what is not working here? Right. And like during the filming, <laughs> these amazing horror stories, like the, the, the pre-shoot filming where they come to your house to like, you know, show you what your, show the viewers what your life is like. And they were like, please have lots of Portuguese baked goods around. And I'm one of these okay. bakers at that point who could bake, I was... I was someone who I have very good baking instincts and I, I have very, uh, like my first attempts usually are good. Okay. I kind of can nail things on the first go. I have beginner's luck. There it is. That's the word. Okay. okay. So all of a sudden I was like, was starting to repeat recipes. You know, like I wanted to do pistache de nata again. I wanted to do like a boloche, which meant I was going to use some sweet bread dough. And all of a sudden, like my sweet bread wouldn't rise. And then my, the, the, the pastry for my pistache de nata were shrinking in the oven so that the custard overflowed. And this is the night before these a professional video shoot, you know, and like I'm having family come and we're going to do these whole scenes. And I'm like, I'm not going to have anything to show. So I'm like literally on the floor of the kitchen, like crying my eyes out because I all of a sudden things are not working. <laughs> oh my God. So stressful. So stressful. But, you know, the part of me, part of the baker and me and a lot of my students I see this in them too, is their bakers were very resilient and we are very creative mm. and we don't, you know, we'll, we'll have our cry on the floor and then we're like, okay, we got to figure it out. And it's also very Portuguese. Yes. Very Portuguese. <laughs> what are we going to do about it? How are we going to fix it? So that creativity comes in and you're like, okay, well, we're going to blind bake the pistache de nata, which no one does. That means you, I feel, you know, I put like pieces of parchment in the pastry and filled them with like dried rice to keep them from shrinking. And then, you know, took out that and then poured in the custard. You know, they were totally not proper, but they were, they were presentable. Somehow I think my mom saved me with creating some more sweetbread because she's the sweetbread maker in our family. And it all, it all worked out. But then again, so later on after the show, I'd be like, what, what, what's going on with me? Mm -hmm. What's going on with my baking? And it was this simple thing of like, you have to actually make these failures to actually improve. So when okay. I teach classes, it's like the failures are your gifts. Mm -hmm. They are your gifts. They aren't the, they aren't the like, stop, don't, don't do this. They aren't like, mm -hmm. you're in the wrong place. You're not, you're not, you're not good enough. It's no, this is how you get really good. Right. So in order to teach all of this, I've I have had to fail at it all. So I think the most people come to me and the most success, well, all my students are amazing, but the success I love to see the most is around sweet bread and around yeast. Everyone is afraid mm -hmm. of yeast and everyone is like, has all there's just a lot going on when we bring up sweet bread <laughs> because yeah. it's such a dear place in our hearts. And a lot mm -hmm. of us are wanting to recreate memories. What your grandmother made, what yes. your mother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a very um, advanced bread to make. And, and so if you're a beginning baker and you just, you don't know, it's so easy to fail. So that's my favorite recipe. One of my favorite recipes to help my students with. And I have in the school, not only a class just on how to make one loaf because okay. recipes are huge and yes. <laughs> not making villages anymore. So if you want to just have one loaf 
you know, anytime during the year, I've got you covered. And I, oh my gosh, I tested that loaf so many times to get it just right in terms of like, it's, it's a great recipe. It's going to work for people. And then I have a whole workshop video where I deep dive into every element of making this bread and then how to manipulate the recipe to get the sort of texture or family memory that you want. Um, Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Because everybody kind of made it, it has a different texture. Some's a little more dense, some even like the ingredients can vary. Right. I mean, so like you said, recreating your family experience, I've no, no one has ever put it that way when talking about the variation of recipe. And I love that because too often we get into the, oh, that's not how you make it. That's not the right way to make it. And it's like, no, that's how my family makes it. That's my family experience. So I'm going to use that. And I'm going to quote you from now on moving, (laughs) moving forward, because I think that is such a perfect way to encapsulate the differences of the dishes, but yet it's still the same dish. Right. So I love that. Let me give you also your listeners some tips, like just right off the bat that can help them in their sweet bread. So yeast, let's, the fear around yeast. I grew up, grew up around that fear. My grandmother had the fear of yeast and it's, and I get it. It's, but it's a simple thing. Yeast is once we add liquid, it becomes alive. And, but the temperature of the liquid is where it can either die or live. So if you go above 110 degrees, that's sort of my, that's the temperature I use. Some yeast brands can go a little hotter, but let's just say 110. If you go past 110, your yeast is going to die. So don't go past 110. There's your, there's your hard boundary. Don't go past that. You can then below that, all the temperatures. So like warm is usually where you want things, especially for sweet bread, because warm means the yeast is going to go quickly. It's not going to take forever. And it's just going to be a happy, a happy experience. The colder the liquid is, then the slower the yeast is. It just slows it down, but you cannot kill it. So you could put, you know, you could put a bread dough that hasn't been baked in the freezer. I mean, you can buy frozen breads, right? That are ready to mm-hmm. bake. So all it does is suspends the yeast. It doesn't kill it. So there, there, there's, there's the spectrum. It's very easy. Don't go too hot. You'll kill it. Don't go past 110. If you want, if you are using um, water or milk, that's, you know, below 80 or, or it's below room temperature, then your bread's just going to take longer to rise. That's it. Okay. The other tip is, I think this is the biggest one where all of, all of my students really turn the corner and have their, start having the bread of their dreams is the window pane test. So the window pane test is a very classic bread making skill. It's where you can take a small piece of dough and you can stretch it so thin that you can, it looks like a window pane. You can see through it. What that means mm. is that you've kneaded the dough enough that there's a structure. There's a very strong structure. And that's how those, all those gluten strands are holding together to create that window pane. That means for this bread, which is, like I said, it's an advanced bread to make. And what I mean by advanced is it, it's enriched with sugar, butter, mm. eggs, sometimes milk, sometimes agrovents. So mm. these are all things that are heavy, heavy on the yeast. They slow the yeast down and you need the structure Otherwise, the bread won't rise or it'll be very dense and you'll get the masasavada brick as my my, my (laughs) students say. I keep getting the brick. I'm like, I know, I know, I know the brick. We've all. (laughs) So that means this is the other thing I learned on the show and I teach my students is even in my recipes, the timings for mixing, the timings for baking or cooking, they're guidelines. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Their suggestions. Okay. Their suggestions. The, the actual clues are when the dough is at that stage or when the dough has doubled. So if the recipe says need for 20 minutes or until window pane test, well, if your bread takes 40 minutes to get to window pane test, that's what it takes in your mm-hmm. home. That was the recipe was a reflection of whoever created that recipe and their experience in their home and maybe with their testers. So everyone's mixer is different. If they're kneading by hand, everyone's muscles, their strength mm-hmm. are different. Mm-hmm. So always remember that the times are suggestions and that what you're going for are these actual tactile clues. How does the bread feel? How does it look? How does it smell? What Those sorts of things. Those are the things that our ancestors, that's how they bake. So when we think yeah, of our, yeah. our great grandmothers or Avaz, when they, when they made things by eye, they were doing it by feel and touch. So that's mm-hmm. the same things I'm going to teach you but also with a lot of guidelines so that you can get there without as many fails. Yeah. So like when you asked your, your grandmother or your mother, like, how do you know it's ready? Like, well, you just know. Right. Like, oh, no, how do you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. I think hopefully some people listening have found that very helpful because, so I will admit I have never even tried to make sweet bread yet. I, I'm just so intimidated but I don't know. I have ambitions for this holiday season to to make quite a few things. So we'll maybe maybe we'll try to make sweet bread. I don't know, but it's a little intimidating. But those are those seem like very helpful tips. And yeah, yeah. those two. And then depending on then this is fun because this is like for instance, even this morning I woke up to one of my students. They love to send me pictures of their now. Once they get their sweet bread, they send me pictures. It's amazing of like look at I this loaf, look at yeah. this loaf. Yeah. And then there are also a lot of <laughs> the ones that are the ones that, that also get really in the weeds with me, which is fun. I'll really go there with you. And he's like, listen, the, the, the color on top just isn't dark enough. I'm like, okay, well, we can talk about egg washes. We can talk about oven placement. We can go deeper into like, whatever you want, we mm-hmm. can get there. We can absolutely get there. But I love waking up to these, uh, these success stories and, and photographs. It's, it's, it's really fun. I love that. And so in order for you to know about oven placement, egg washes, and all these things to get the desired family experience, right? (laughs) That you're looking for. I mean, you really have had to (laughs) test a ton, right? And maybe to your point, fail a ton, right? But certainly test a ton because did you, did you actually go to like a baking school, like a culinary school, or is this all self-taught based on what you experienced in Portugal, because I know since that study abroad, you've been many times, right? And you've worked with bakers over there that are known for their particular, you know, dessert. So is it just been that? It's just been working with those bakers and then your own trial and error? Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it's all self-taught and yeah, that my time in Portugal has been extremely helpful. Also my time in the community here in Sacramento. So the the, the Portuguese hall in Sacramento, they have mm-hmm. really embraced me and oh, allowed that's great. Me. Just I'm just happy to go wash dishes and be with those women. <laughs> I love them all. Huge shout out to all of them. They're all from Pico pretty much. Mm-hmm. Their sweet bread is incredible. So I've learned so much just talking to them. No one's given up recipes, which is totally fine with me. (laughs) No one wants to give up their recipe for anything. It's so funny. I'm a total detective. I'm always watching. I'm taking notes. And I think it's part of being a classical musician and I compose music too. So I'm, I'm just... I'm watching all the layers and all the variables and how they go together. And I'm, t- I'm just always taking notes in my brain. 
And then I, yeah, I go into my kitchen and I try things. And then sometimes they let slip some amazing secrets. Like for instance, they they gave me like a game changing tip around how to make filoge. If you want mm-hmm. them super fluffy, that I you have to you have to join the school to get. But it's it's in my it's in my filoge recipe. It's it, it's uh, game changing, game changing that they that All they right. that gift. So that's a little. That's, that's little an enticement. That's an enticement. <laughs> yes, for sure. Okay. And then you know, even since the pandemic, it's amazing how many more Portuguese people are putting out content and mm-hmm. putting out their own schools. And thankfully, mm-hmm. like, I I can I understand kitchen Portuguese pretty much perfectly. <laughs> so we're, well, I'm not great at speaking <laughs> Portuguese. I read really well, and I can understand when you know if I'm watching videos or doing an online course. And I've done on live online courses during the pandemic with chefs in Portugal, which was really fun. So again, so then it sometimes it makes it kind of complicated because I'm just being exposed to so many recipes for the same dish. And mm-hmm. so what I do in the school is, you know, eventually I have to choose, you know, I have to choose a recipe. And then what I do to really embrace this inclusivity of what we were saying for the family variations, is I talk about some of the variations in the recipe that I, I have come across in ways that you can easily adapt the recipe to. Right. Okay. Those things. And then sometimes if I feel if it's appropriate, I'll even give some modern modern takes. Like, for instance, I just did um, for the school Papstanju, which is a really, really old a really old uh, convent suite where it's just, it's whipped egg yolks into little cakes and it's, it's almost very middle Eastern. Then the cakes are soaked in a, a, a sugar syrup that's usually infused with lemon and cinnamon or some sort of citrus and a cinnamon wow. stick. And then often a liqueur is added, but then some modern versions will just take some maracuja, some passion fruit and throw it into the syrup to soak the cakes in. And um, like, that is awesome. It's super not traditional, but passion fruit's very popular, of course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's a great way to update one of these, you know, centuries old recipes that are very, very sweet. So things like that I'll include in the recipes when, when it feels fun. So talk a little bit about the evolution of the school, because I know you started, you started giving online courses which we took a few and you even did some for kids which I was so appreciative because I think unfortunately most people think oh because kids are too young it's too hard they won't be able to follow along that kind of thing whether it's learning how to bake or language or anything right and that may be true in a lot of ways but I think at the same time there are there are some kids that would that just love it and and you chose recipes for kids that were simple enough but also fun, right? Like I think it was the um, serradura where yes. you, you crush the balasha in the bag. I mean, the kids love to do that, right? And and so we did it for the Portuguese club in our, in our school at the time. We had a, a an activity there. So so yeah. So talk about how you started doing the classes, and then kind of how it's led to this this school, and then where can people find the school and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> very good. Very good. So. My most of my life is dedicated to music, which you've heard us say a couple times, mm-hmm. and, and and that is that is sort of the main river of my life. And then baking has been this incredible cultural experience and love affair that has allowed me again to be part of our community in this this dynamic, interactive way, collaborative way, which I've loved, and it's sort of like. I didn't I didn't really have any preconceived dreams of what my baking life could be. So I just, well, that sounds fun. Let's try that. So 
for a while, it was in-person classes at my house. And then I was like, wow, that was fun. It was fun to be with everyone and bond. But <laughs> the flip side, it was very stressful and a lot of work. It's <laughs> so like, okay, maybe yeah. that's for me. So Yeah, because you're bringing all these people into your home. Yeah. I mean, forget just making sure that your home is clean. Because like <laughs> when we have friends over, it's like, shit, get a you know, vacuum and straighten everything up. It's like house has never been as clean as it is until like 15 minutes before people come over. Right. So I can imagine that that would be stressful. The amount of people coming through your personal space. Right. <laughs> but I would started doing a uh, pop-ups where I would sell baked goods. And so I, mm -hmm. you know, and that was fun. And I, I remember for a moment thinking, maybe I'll have a bakery. And I was talking mm -hmm. to our other friend, Talmu, you know, from Umakaza in San Francisco, mm -hmm. restaurant, the restaurants in San Francisco. And he's like, listen, Jeremiah, before you make any choices, you need to do it over and over and over to make sure that you're not going to get sick of it. And that was another beautiful Great wisdom. piece of advice. Great piece of advice. Yes. 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 So I, that stuck with me too. So make sure you've done it enough to where like, when you get to those low points, you know, you still want to keep going. So I got to my low points with that too. And I was like, okay. Again, it's fun to be with the community and connect. And I love doing things with my hands, like many Portuguese people. But again, I like the infrastructure, the balance of logistics weren't working. So then I'm like, okay, we'll do online classes. And that was during the pandemic. And that was fantastic. That was really fun. Really, really fun. And then that too became, I started, it just became, people had done, you can only do so much live. Sure, sure. Live, like the recipes I was starting to run out for with uh, recipes that could work in that format. And then also the recipes I was starting to dig into were less famous, you know, so I would get less signups and it, it right. was just, all, you know, a, it started, it becomes about business at that point. Mm -hmm. too. Like, mm -hmm. okay, I got to move on. And then also my, the, the, the love of my life music was really being like, you've got to finish this album. You've got to do more mm. performances. You got to focus. So I was being pulled away. So I needed to like find a greater balance and, um, the Portuguese baking school being an online platform of pre-recorded video classes that you can watch anytime was like that, that was like, Oh, this is the way to go because now I can serve everyone everywhere. I can do any recipe. Yes. We're, we won't have the same community experience, but then that's all changing as we're, as we're as a global community embracing technology and connecting in these ways. So you know, we're all figuring it out. And mm -hmm. what's, you know, what we trade is that, you know, now I have people, I have students in Dubai and I have students in it's amazing. Yeah. And I have students from your, Portugal. Your reach is just, you know, gone all over the world. Yes. And then to have actual Portuguese students. But yeah. Right. That's incredibly flattering <laughs> and, and, and so love, lovely. So lovely. So, and also I, you know, early in the early days, I was like, Oh, I'll write a book. A cookbook. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember that. that. I was going to ask you about like, what's going on with cookbooks? I said that before I knew what it meant to write a cookbook. <laughs> yes. It's, and you are yeah. a public author and you know, you know how, how challenging and exciting and fun it is. And a cookbook is, is that, and some, and some, and that I really want the book I'm creating is, you know, once I want it to be very comprehensive about the baking of Portugal. And so the school is really helping me finish that book. The school keeps me oh. on target. It keeps me testing the recipes and um, building it, up the library, right? Because yeah. you can't have a cookbook with 10 recipes in it. You got to no. have, I don't know, what's the, what's the target number? A hundred or something? I'm I going for around 150, but yeah, a hundred is. Oh exactly. my God. That's so, now we're in, in, 
part of that too is like when you get it, you know, I had an agent right at the beginning of the pandemic and then the pandemic happened and no one was buying, buying cookbook proposals, you know? So anyway, it's just a whole weaving of elements that are still coming together mm-hmm. in terms of the, that project finishing. But the big piece right now is that the, the baking school is helping support that project to come into fruition. And it's a real, it's, yeah, it's fantastic. And it's, and I'm, I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for it in all the ways. So, okay. It's, it's portuguesebaking.com. It couldn't be easier. Portuguesebaking.com. And that's, that's my handle on the social medias as well. Mm-hmm. And right now it's, you can have two weeks for free. You can jump in there. There's over 80 recipes available right now. And then every month I put out three new, new recipes and they're printable PDFs. There's uh, the video class, which you can watch over and over and over. All the favorite recipes are already there. And then I'm just continuing to fill out all of the, all of these amazing recipes that only some people know about, but we're all gonna know about them soon. And then at the next year, the prices are gonna go up. So right now it's super, super reasonable. It's $13.99 a month or $133.99 for the year. Um, and then, but next year, yeah, the prices will go up. So if you wanna get in, but for the before the end of the year, please please join me, and then you have access to me, so you can you can email me at any time to troubleshoot stuff. I'm there for everyone, and uh, it's yeah, it's really fun to support everyone in a more personal way. So I'm sure you get this question a lot, so hopefully you you have the answer down pat. But I'm sure people have said, why would I pay to watch your video recipe videos when yeah. I could just go on YouTube and get it for free? Yeah. Yeah, you totally can. You totally can. And I mean, that's where I'm doing a lot of my research. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, here's the difference is I, a lot of those recipes have been tested in an environment that's maybe those recipes are being made in Portugal. And they're being made in a way that is specific to that person and to their ingredients and to their kitchen. So because I've spent time there, lots of time there, because I've done all this studying and all this work, I, I can translate all of that. I do all of the translation for a home baker that is based in the US or in a, you know North America, but obviously all over the world people are. Mm-hmm. I, so my, my, in, my, my in-laws are in the UK, so I, I have a huge exposure too to like the baking in Europe and in the UK. So mm-hmm. I can kind of speak all these baking idioms and so I, I know how to translate that down into something succinct and something that's going to work. And I've done the testing and, and I, the standardizing of the equipment and things like, well, how big is the pan? You'll go on YouTube and like oftentimes they won't tell you what size pan they're using or they won't tell you how long they baked it for or what temperature right. the oven was. There's always something like left out. Don't I'm thinking about all those things for you, including like temperatures. So like I, I just put out a recipe for... Um, um, it's, it's really a Brazilian candy that's very popular in Portugal. These, you know, the, the condensed milk, like Brigadeiro. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I did all this research to figure out what is the proper temperature for when that candy, that fudge is actually ready to, 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 to take off the stove. Cause that's the whole thing with making Brigadeiro is like the Pont de Brigadeiro when the, the they say the, 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 the mixture kind of jumps or soltar, solta out of the pan. And I'm like, what is that? No one knows what that is, unless you are someone who's done it over and over and over and failed a bunch of times. So I'm trying to 
mitigate that failure process for all this. I, I want everyone to fail a little bit because that's how you get really good. Okay. Sure, sure. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I want to try to make sure that doesn't happen that often or maybe not at all. And you can just have all of um, all of the wisdom there in one recipe. So I do all of that sort of finishing work for you so that you get a recipe and an experience that ensures like, if not first time success, then either second or third time you're going to have success. And you're also going to you're not going to be that version of me that was just, I'll try something. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, I move on. Instead, mm-hmm. you're going to have this experience with becoming, like actually embodying and being a baker, being a baker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's something that like, you know, it's like instead of skating on the top of life, like you actually, okay, let's get into the the dirt of it or into the, 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 the dough or into the garden of it. And like, that's actually like, why is this working? Why do we like this? And and then you can really own it, and um, and it's a whole. So it's, so it's really more like a class. It's not just the videos that you watch on YouTube, which That's is right. like three minutes summarizes how everything's no. done. You're like into it. You're giving details, and then I think you know, like you said earlier, you're giving the the tips on if you want a little bit more of this, add this. If you want this kind of a texture, add this. You're you're always helping people adjust. And then, like you said, they have access to you, right? Yeah. So if they have questions or anything like that. Um, you, it mentions species, the, the spice cookies of Saint-Georges that are incredibly beautiful, intricate. You will, I mean, I think I have probably the only class you could probably take that will really teach you how to make those. If you someone didn't teach you how to make them, the classes that are, what's on, on the, the internet is like very much not, there's so much missing, so much missing. Hmm. I, I went to someone's house in Saint-Georges, this beautiful, beautiful woman who invited me into her, basically into this beautiful cave of a basement, like cook, you know, the out, these, they always have those second kitchens, right? Like kind of right. like, yes. yeah, the second kitchen. And she spent the whole afternoon with me teaching me how to do that recipe, how her mom did it a hundred years ago. And then her mom, you know, like, so that recipe right there and what I, what I, what I went through to get that recipe and what I did to like give it now to in mm-hmm. the students, there's no one else's, no one else has that unless you go again to the Azores and someone teaches you. So it's, it's that kind of stuff where I really spend, I teach you every step and why. Yeah. Every step and why. Wow. So yes. Yeah, so portuguesebaking.com and we will certainly include the link in the show notes for sure. So people can find it easily. Where kind of, where are you going? from here, right? So you've, you've built up the, the courses online. You've got three new ones per month. It's helping you finish the book. Is there anything else on the that you're willing to share? (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah. To have that book in our hands, that'll be a good day. That'll be a good day. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk about a labor of love, like literally, right. And just so many years in the making. It is. It is. And I'm glad I've waited this long because to write something like that again you want it you want to have you want to embody the information so know that you did your due diligence right and um you can stand behind it and as a younger baker you know way back in 2016 2017 or i i wasn't ready to release release something Mm -hmm. like that so Mm -hmm. i'm glad it's taken this time and on the horizon it's yeah it's interesting that's um you know again music is i'm doing a lot with music and the healing arts or intuitive arts intuitive arts and then my the music that I compose sometimes like I'm singing a lot and sometimes I'm singing in Portuguese which there's like this part of me that 
wishes or like feels like there's an inner fetishta inside me. Not that I'm going to go sing, <laughs> right. but like that's part of me. And I think being Portuguese, you have mm-hmm. that also in you. This mm-hmm. this 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 favu. So that that's kind of things are going in that direction with um so talk a little bit about your music so i so and i will say this is one of our longer podcasts because there's just so much to, to talk about but so talk a little bit about your music so i know you were an instructor right flute piano and you you i don't know if you still give lessons but you did for a long time so how would you classify your style of music and then i know you do a lot of healing work and which i I would love to expose our community to more because I think it's it's not as woo woo as you know people kind of think it is. I think it actually works, you know. So, um, so yeah, talk a little bit about your your music stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. So, hmm, for instance, okay, so I was just in Egypt this year, and and in those spaces, well, okay, so. One thing that was magical that happened. So what I, I do something that people call sound healing. And all that means is that I make sounds with mostly my voice, but other instruments that have a healing intention. And the prayer that I say is I just, I go inward and I ask for healing sounds for that person or for myself or for where, whatever I'm up to. That's the sort of the simplicity of it. Of course, there's lots of other things going on, but that's the sort of the core of it. So I was in Egypt and there was a sound healer part of this pilgrimage, this tour I was on, and he dropped out like on the second day. And the the tour leader discovered that I did this and was like, listen, we're having a ceremony inside of the Great Pyramid. Can you fill in? And it was one of these dreams that came true that I I didn't could come, come true. Like, of course, I would want, I mean... So for two hours, I got to be singing inside of the Great Pyramid for people. Oh my God, Jeremiah. Like, I that's know. That's so cool. It was so cool. And so that is a very special place, as you can imagine, with thousands of years of tradi- tradition and in- intention and care and devotion, you know, that literally embedded into the stone walls. And so those spaces are, they feel very alive for me, someone like me. And I think for anyone really is woo-woo or non-woo-woo, if you think. (laughs) And I think a lot of us have had this experience of being in certain places in the Azores or in Portugal. Mm -hmm. You get a place in nature or in one of those old churches and you're like, oh, I can feel this. This is special. And often like when we're in, you know, around the hot springs or the volcanic places in the Azores, those are powerful, beautiful, special places that you just feel more connected to you, you know, you, you as a, as a being that's maybe beyond your humanity, you maybe feel more connected to the divine, whatever you call that, or maybe, and maybe even more connected to like, wow, I'm really here. I'm really Mm -hmm. here, this place in time. And so that was kind of what happened in, in the King's Chamber. And I got to watch people have these incredible experiences where the sound, because it's just vibration, is going in, you know, we're all receiving it into our bodies and the space. And then the space is like another musician. And so hmm. it was like the space would, you know, musicians kind of go into this cool telepathy where you can read each other and, you know, by the way you move or you weigh, the way you're playing or singing and the space would interact, you know, like it, I knew what sounds to sing for that space because the space made it clear. And it also... It's because you. I had to listen. You part of this is listening. You have to mm-hmm. listen really deeply in order to 
create the sounds that are are going to be beneficial and loving for mm-hmm. the space, but for the people in the space. So this work has grown and these wisdom teachers will hire me to uh, come support their groups where what I kind of do in that regard is called, I call it harmonic integration. So like if you're with a, a wisdom teacher or someone who's teaching a lot of spiritual stuff, it can be really powerful and you can like be like, wow, a lot of aha moments or realizations or energetically you could feel like, you know, so excited and all the things. And then that can kind of live in your head and in your like kind of in the excitement of your body. But what I do with the sound is I help that all kind of settle down, down deeper into your body so that it can be actually a, a transformational experience. So it's integrated into who you are and it becomes something you can take with you. It fully lands versus something just gets stuck kind mm-hmm. of in your head or in your thoughts, which over time can be kind of become frustrating. You might not sleep very well. You'd be like, why did I feel so great? Now I don't understand what that experience was about. Right. I support teachers like that. And I'm also teaching others how to do this, this kind of this work, which I never expected myself to be doing this kind of work. I thought I'd be playing in an orchestra somewhere. <laughs> yeah, right. And, I mean, yeah, uh, with, with playing traditional instruments, I guess that would be the one of one of the goals or one of the, the dreams of, of most musicians. But life has taken you on this healing path for people, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah. And so where can where can people find you for that kind of work? Do you have like a separate Me too. Like a Facebook page or website or anything like that? Yeah. And it's a yeah, another different name. So it's Jeremiah DeRosa, D-A-R-O-S-A. And uh, that is that is my grandmother's uh last name. And um a lot of the traditions, these healing traditions or these these lineages that I feel drawn to, the rose is often a symbol and there's a lot of teachings of the rose and rose lineages. So it's perfect that yes. that's my family, family last names. And so I, I grabbed that for this, for this uh, business. So jeremiahderosa.com is where you find all that stuff. And I'm doing some, I created an online res- resource, online meetings for the holidays. So holidays can be mm. exciting and challenging for people. Mm-hmm. One of those times of year where it's very magical and yet it can also be really can be really hard. It can be hard to be around certain family members. It can be hard to be around all that food. It can be hard. There's, you know, the traditions. You're missing people. Missing people. So what I've done is created um, their live online events where you can come and they're very intentional, like sort of sound healings where I can, where I just give people an outlet to, to have whatever's going on for them during the holiday season be harmonized. So they have a space to just like take some deep breaths and just, they don't have to do anything but show up. And then I do all the, I'll do, I'll do all, I do all the heavy lifting. <laughs> and, that sounds amazing. I'm going to have to uh, look up your schedule <laughs> and make sure I fit one into my, my, uh, my holiday uh, season, if you will, maybe one or two. That's, that sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for uh, letting me share so much for so long. And um, I no, really, this has been, this has been great. Such a treat and and long overdue for us to have a catch up. So this has been really wonderful. Congratulations on all of your success and and, and thank you for putting such heart and passion into all of your your work to make sure that the recipes and the classes that people are getting and are, are really the absolute best work. You know, it's not like you're just kind of 
throwing stuff out there. So (laughs) the amount of work that you're putting into each one is, is really kind of mind blowing for me, especially because I'm not really a baker, but that's a, you can tell that there's true heart and love in, in each one. So thank you for, for putting in the work. That's amazing. Thank you. And you as well. And I think that's what we do as Portuguese, right? We put it (laughs) since we were, since we were kids and found that connection and we knew that this is what, where we wanted to spend our time and, and our energy. So for sure. But, um, but thank you, Jeremiah. It was such a pleasure always. And hopefully I'll see you soon because we, you know, we don't live that far away from each other. Um, So hopefully we'll see you. And so, yeah, so that wraps up this episode. And so thanks to all of our listeners for joining us for another episode of to the Portuguese. And it was a, a long one, but I, I, for me, it flew by. And so hopefully you enjoyed every second. If you haven't subscribed, what are you waiting for? Please do. You get to hear wonderful conversations like this one with Jeremiah, uh, share it with friends and family, leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast, because that will help more people find us and more people join the conversation. If you have a suggestion for a guest, please email us at palcus at palcus.org. And with that, Ateja, until next time, thank you so much, Jeremiah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to To the Portuguese, a podcast production by Palcus, the only national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese American community. To learn more about Palcus, how to become a member, or to suggest a guest for our show, visit www.palcus.org or email us at palcus at palcus.org. <laughs>